name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Now that uh, the seeds have been planted, right, for the farmers, the Church starts to talk about the difficulties that they might have, right, and they talk about the importance of planning. And the Gospel that they choose is a very, very, very difficult one. I'm just going to pull this up. It's a very sobering one, right? The Lord's words in the Gospel today are not, they're not gentle, right? They're not the typical thing that we like to hear. It's not for the faint-hearted. Many Christians today, we want um, a romantic Gospel. We want a Gospel where Jesus is my lover. Um, I was listening to a podcast by a Protestant, actually, um, this week, and the person that they were interviewing wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And one of the things that he identified, and this is the, the minister speaking, not me, is the constant love songs about Jesus being an issue for a lot of people. Um, nothing about battles or fighting wars, right? It used to be, like, even in the West, they had songs like Onward Christian Soldier. They had songs that were more about um, battle. But these ones always refer to God only in this very um, romantic way and a term that I hadn't heard before that he called uh, seven, seven eleven songs, where he said you choose seven words and repeat them 11 times, and then that's the, that's the song. He acknowledged, though, that orthodoxy is not having this problem and that the Orthodox have, have been able to maintain more um, their congregations. There seems to be a, an actual split that reflects the actual split of the country. So today's Gospel is one of those Gospels that are not fluffy, okay, and they're not kind. Um, the Lord is clear. If you want to follow me, you've got to make this actually about me. If you want something else more than me, he says, then you're not worthy of me. Today we would say that this is mean, right? And we would make it sound like this is somebody who's very arrogant. Um, we would comment how egotistical this is, when actually it, it isn't. Um, so some modern translations here um, use the word hate, okay? Um, where if, if any man does not hate his father, mother, brother, then he is not worthy of me. But the word that's actually used in the original language doesn't just mean hate. Hate is one of the options. Um, but actually, the actual meaning can mean literally just to love less, right? And that's why this, this translation that we're using is an Orthodox translation, um, which is why it says, if you do not, if you do not love me more than them, um, is the real meaning of the text in the Semitic language. And this matters a lot because sometimes we read things out of context, right? And we're like, aha, look how the gospel here says for people to hate when it's not the message of the gospel. Obviously, the Lord wants us to love one another and our families because he commanded us to do so, right? He wouldn't tell us on the one hand, love them, and then the next day say you need to, to hate them. But he wants us to put him first. And before we talk about whether or not God is justified in this, Right? Look at the fact that we also do this to one another. People want this from one another all the time. People in relationships want the person, the other person in the relationship, to put them first. They want to know that when there's a conflict, to know that the other person is going to put him or her first. That's something very normal. Right? 
a woman wants to know that if a man has a conflict between the guys, right, and her, that he'll choose her. A woman wants to know that he's going to put her before his friends, right? A man wants to know that his wife is going to put her before her career, right? They want to know that if there's ever a conflict, they're not saying, I don't want you to have friends, they're not saying, I don't want you to have a job, they're not saying anything like that. They just want to know that you are going to put me first, Whenever that there's a conflict of who to sacrifice for, who are you going to choose, right? We even see issues with families, where a person leaves their family, if the husband or wife is constantly going to his own mother or father, right, sometimes that causes conflicts. They want to know that I come first before even your immediate family, right? Because I am your wife or I am your husband, right? These are the <laughs> things that people want. So as humans, we already have this expectation of one another, that if we love each other, that we put one another first. How much more then is it justified that our Lord wants us to do the same? He wants us to do the same because He's the only objective thing in existence. We are all relative in our existence. That is, we only exist because He does. That's the only reason why we exist. If He didn't exist, we wouldn't exist. We have relative emotion and concepts because He is the absolute of them. Right? He gave us purpose. So if, if He gave us our identity, if He gave us our purpose, if we don't live according to that purpose, then our existence is out of context. It doesn't work. Okay? In other words, if He is the one who made us and He is the one who designed us, if I'm trying to use this design in a way other than its design, then it doesn't make sense, right? I'm using it in a way that wasn't how it was supposed to be. It's like trying to use, I don't know, a, a can opener to, to, as your fork, okay? It doesn't make sense. That's not what it was designed for. At the same time, he says that if you don't love me more than these things, then you're not worthy. Why? Because you don't get it, right? You don't get your, your, your purpose. If a car was made for driving, and you're just super excited by how beautiful it looks, that you refuse to drive it in case it gets muddy, then you've missed the point of a car, which is to drive, right? So it's like, so, it's a waste that you even had this gift. It's a waste that your dad bought you a car that you just parked in the driveway because you were so worried about it getting muddy and you're just happy that it looks clean. Well, he's not saying don't keep it clean, right? But he's saying, but it's a car. <laughs> you drive it. It's not a decoration. If I bought you a decorative gift, okay, put it out as a decoration. But that, that isn't what I bought you. But he's saying you're not worthy of getting this car as a gift because you're not even using it. You don't even take it to do what it's supposed to do. You've missed the point. Or more insultingly, which is more often what we do, when you take the gift and abuse it, then you'll really see the meaning of it not being worthy. Imagine if you've been battling an addiction, okay, which is against an objective measure of health, and your parents who love you and feel for you on your birthday buy you um, a very, very, very expensive gift. They want to you know, support you, show you that they love you, and they do it. And you go and take that large gift and you sell it and use the money against your parents' wishes, and use it against the objective measure of, of health, then you weren't worthy of the gift. 
right? This is this is how we would see, it. and this is why Christ is saying to us, "If you don't love me more than these, then you're not worthy of me." Right? I've given you these great gifts. I gave you your existence. If you don't love me more than them, then you're not worthy of it. You're not worthy of this. If you don't put any, if you put anything else in creation above me, because I made the whole thing, right? The whole creation, I made it, and I made it for you. So if you put this thing that I made above me, then you're not worthy of the gift, because the gift was a sign of me. The gift didn't exist in and of itself. It was from me. The one who made you and fashioned you and loved you. That's what he's saying. Is this unreasonable? Not at all, right? As we said, humans do it all the time, yet we do it without, with outright disregard to God all the time. Having said that, he acknowledges that it's hard. That's why he gives the analogies that follow. Right, right after he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He calls it a cross. Right? He doesn't say, oh here, come follow me in this glorious thing. He says it's a cross. And then he even goes forward to say, okay, if you're going to build a tower, you need to sit down and calculate what does that cost. Right? Otherwise, if you run out of money, everyone's going to mock you. Right? He's, he's very clear on, the, on, on what it means. Right? He knows that it costs, and he knows that you're going to look foolish if you don't do it. He says, if you're going to go to war, if you're not able with your strategy and your footwork and your, and your soldiers going to be able to go to war, he's like, then go make peace. Right? You need to think. Right? You need to calculate. He's asking us to bring our minds into it, not just to have um, a blind, fake relationship with him. In the same way, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He puts it very clearly. It's unequivocal. There's a cross. It's difficult. And you need to think about whether you're going to do it or not. You need to calculate the cost of Christianity because Christianity is not a fluffy religion. It's not an easy religion, right? If we, we want to just hold hands and sing Kumbaya all the time, we can, okay? But that's actually not what Christianity is about. Christianity is going to cost you socially, economically, politically. It's going to cost you. If you refuse to be corrupt at work, you might not make the same numbers as other people. You're not going to look as good if you refuse to cheat. If you refuse to do certain corrupt behaviors that they ask you to do at work, you're not going to be seen as somebody who cares enough about your work. I know somebody who, as part of his interview process, was informally asked to go to a place very inappropriate. And he was asked to do so because they wanted to see how far he's willing to go for a sale, right? If he refused to do it, he is going to look like he's not ready to do anything for the sale, which he's not ready to do anything for the sale, right? He's not willing to corrupt his morals. This is going to cost a person. Choosing to show your Christianity will cost you. If you refuse to be promiscuous at whatever age now, not just at a young age, you may be mocked as a prude or as weird, or as uncultured, or as not advanced, or as not understanding what people are like. If you don't joke sexually, or cuss, or engage in lewd humor, you may be mocked or seen as self-righteous. If you don't get trashed or stoned at a party, you'll be seen as no fun or as inferior. If you don't cheat on your exams like some other people, or if you pay for the exam in advance from your TA, 
you're seen as unwise or not with the program. If you disagree with getting high with our newly legal weed, then you're old-fashioned or stupid um, or anti-progressive or insert insults here. If you express that you think something is wrong, then you're called judgmental, right? And you should be avoided, even though it's okay for others to tell you that you're wrong in your view, right? But if you say it as a Christian, you're somehow judgmental. If you publicly pray or sign yourself to the cross, even before eating or sitting, people will think you're weird or superstitious or judgmental. If you remain a Christian in somewhere like Syria, Iraq, or Nigeria, or southern Egypt, you might get killed. The list could go on. People don't like people who are different. People don't like people who disagree with them. People don't like statements that things are wrong. They want subjectivity. They want to do whatever they want and to be told that that's just fine. That's what people prefer. And this is what the readings point at. We read, for example, in the Catholic epistle, For we have spent enough of our past time fulfilling the desires of non-believing Gentiles. We used to live in indecency, lust, excess drinking, orgies, riotous behavior, and abominous idolatries. They think it's strange that you no longer run with them in the same abusive lifestyle, and they speak evil of you. Right? This is exactly what St. Peter is talking about. He's saying, when you took the faith and you realized that all these things that you were doing were wrong, and you stopped, people didn't react and say, oh, wonderful, I'm so glad that you stopped these behaviors. No, instead, they were confused by the fact that you stopped, because it means that you don't think it's right anymore, and they called you names. And in fact, Peter is writing to people who um, are being persecuted. Peter was in prison when he wrote this epistle. Right? So he's writing this having suffered himself, um, for the faith. The question is, do you care about the objective goal? If someone wants to be a great rower, for example, they're they going to calculate the costs. They will see that they need to watch the diet properly and fanatically even. Otherwise, they won't have the muscles that they need to give them the strength that they need to compete. They will determine that they will have to wake up extremely early to practice. And if they have to wake up early to practice, it means they're going to sleep early as well, right? Which means that certain social functions aren't going to be an option for them. They're going to be limited in their social interactions because of their new schedule. They will realize that they have to have a work balance to match their practices while being able to maintain what they want to do financially. If they can't afford to do it, then they have a problem. If they can't afford it financially, they need to seek a loan. And they need to find out if they're going to be approved for a loan, right? It's not like you can just get up in the morning like, I'm going to be an expert rower. The point is you need to calculate. Can I do this? Is this something that I'm going to be able to do? We do this for subjective things all the time. But why not for the objective? If I discover my identity, then those behaviors of which St. Paul said need to become past tense, or St. Peter, I should say. They need to become a thing of the past. If I discover that I can't eat junk food um, or I won't succeed, I need to stop, right? Like it's, it's just that simple. If I want to get fit for my rowing, I just, I'm going to have to stop. It's not, it's, there's nothing to it. It's, it's just logical. That's why we have to put off the old man to encounter Christ. I need to find out what it means to be human instead of an ant, right? To go back to the analogy that we used before. I have to acquire self-control. 
St. Peter ends saying, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded, self-controlled, and sober in prayer. Above all things, be committed to your mutual love, for love covers a multitude of sins. St. Peter is saying this from prison, right? To people who are being rounded up and killed for being Christian. Remember that you will have an end. There's an objective fact for you. You're going to die, right? Whether you like it or not, that's an objective fact. Whether it's today or tomorrow, 20 years, 40, you're going to die. Everyone's going to die. This is an objective fact. So remember this object, the objective fact that you will have an end. So you remember each day and how to use it, right? Knowing that there's going to be an end. This doesn't have to be a morbid thing. St. Peter brings them to an objective knowledge to help them through the difficult period, saying, yeah, you are suffering and you are going to die. That is true, right? But remember what the point is. Remember that there's something real beyond this. And suddenly you're not going to be as stressed out by the hardship that you're going through. Because truth is the only consoling thing in existence. So if the objective reality of God is before me, then I know that I have one person, purpose, and that is to be who I was designed to be. To live in a relationship with Him and to love Him back. Just like any romance, this will cost. Right? That's why all the readings today are around these, these hardships. If I know the objective truth of my existence, my nature, then I will know why I can't do what everyone else is doing. Right? The only comfort that the rower has when the rower is not doing these other things is that they know that they want to be a rower. Right? That's the only reason why they're tolerating being deprived in somewhere else. It's objective truth. Right? If I know why I exist and what my nature is, what I was designed to be, then I will know why I can't do what everyone else is doing. And this will be my comfort. It will be a comfort for me to know why I'm not. But it will also be a cause of sorrow for other people. Instead of being angry at others and how they treat me, I will actually be sad for them that they are being damaged. Because if I've learned what real health is and I see that someone in front of me is damaging their health, I feel sorry for them. I'm not like, I'm so angry that they're, that they're smoking. I'm so angry that they're mad that I'm not smoking. Right? I'm going to be like, that person is killing themselves. Do they know that they're killing themselves? Right? I'm going to have compassion because I learned the truth. I learned that smoking is bad for me. So I want the other person to have good health. Not just for me to have good health. I want them to have good health. Instead of being angry, I will be sad for them. I'll even feel a compulsion to preach to them rather than let them suffer. This was the spirit of the apostles. This is why the praxis reading is that in, in spite of the Jews bringing them up and beating them for their faith, right? the apostles, in spite of being treated so badly, are unable to contain themselves and they go out and keep preaching. Because they're like, how can I sit still and not tell them the good news? How can I sit still and not tell them that Jesus is God? Right? Because they actually believe in it. So that instead of being angry at their persecutors, right, they were A, found it great that they were considered worthy to suffer, and they continued to preach. Right? It would be the equivalent literally today of knowing that smoking can cause cancer and the government saying it's illegal for anybody to tell you that it can cause cancer. But a person of conscience is going to say, well, I can't tell, not tell someone that they're going to die. Right? I, I couldn't pretend that that's not the case. Right? And so the consequence of the persecution was for that they preached more. 
right? Instead of being, I'm going to be quiet and pretend it never happened, the consequence was to preach more. The truth is your only consolation, and the truth is the only thing that's going to motivate you to care about other people. If I care about others, I will want them to come to the knowledge of the truth. And if I have planned properly and taken the difficult discipline of getting there, then I'll be worthy of the reward. And what is the reward? It's simply the outcome of doing right. Right? This is something that we, we don't always realize. We think that I'm going to get a bonus for doing what's right. No. The end result is that you get the right thing because it was always the right thing. It's not a reward. Right? It's what the, de- it's what the design um, itself was. Um, they can fight me, but they won't take away um, the goal. So we're going to suffer, but we can't shy away from that. So you need to calculate, am I able to handle that? Am I able to handle that people aren't going to treat me well or or always love me for doing the right thing? Um, Because if you don't, you're in for a miserable time. Um, But the truth at the same time is comforting, right? Our Lord in the Gospel last like yesterday evening in Ashaya, in Vespers, He said to come to me, all of you who labor and are heavily burdened. So He recognizes that there's a burden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There are two comforts here, the truth and God's presence. People flee the truth all the time to find comfort, but it actually doesn't fix anything. If someone has cancer, and I pretend that they don't because I'm afraid of how I'm going to feel, I haven't fixed anything. Right? Fleeing from the truth hasn't actually fixed a single thing. That hasn't stopped them from having cancer. Pretending the truth doesn't exist doesn't fix things. <laughs> if I confront myself, however, with the truth, I can find solutions or at least I'll learn how to deal with things. If I can find out how to, how to cope, I can try maybe to find out how the disease is caused, I might at least try and find a way to find time and comfort from this person while they're around. I'll at least be able to find some meaning, right? As opposed to simply pretending the issue isn't at hand. The second thing of the comfort is that our Lord is present with us, right? Our Lord became human to show us how to be human, right? He became human to show us, this is how I designed you, okay? You were an ant before, Okay, and so I gave you the special existence. I, I gave you my humanly existence, that analogy that I used before. Well, God has said, I made you to be human, okay, in a certain way. Maybe you don't know how to do it. Okay, I'll do it. I'll show you this is how it is. This is how you can be the human that I designed. I will come and do it myself. I will literally take flesh and be among you. He said, if you think it's impossible to be a human, I will show you how to do it. He graced our humanity with His divinity. It's a beautiful thing. Really, I should feel honored that God allowed me to be human, right? That God took a creature that had no special gift in and of itself that He made and elevated it to the stature, right? That this is, this is a great honor that I'm not worthy of. And this is why St. Paul says, we pray always for you that our God may account you worthy of your calling. What does it mean, worthy of your calling? Worthy of the fact that He gave us a special existence, right? Worthy that I'm not just an animal. Worthy that I've been made in His image and likeness. That I have to realize that this is a gift. 
So the challenge to all of us is this, do I live according to my calling? Do I actually appreciate my humanity? Do I live the humanity that He designed or do I live a completely meaningless existence? Do I treat my gift that He gave me with contempt or am I thankful and proud of it? Do I love other things more than God or do I love something else more? Whether it's my riches, my family, my job or my status. Because if you spurn Him, do not see Him as cruel if you feel rejected right back, if you don't have a relationship with Him. Don't be selfish and tell him you need to do whatever you want and he should always just pretend that you love him when you don't. If you don't, you don't. If you do love him, show him. Because the romance itself is beautiful. The most beautiful love stories are the stories of those who went through hell and back with one another, right? All the classical love stories are this guy who lays himself down and he denies himself and he goes to the ends of the earth and does all sorts of things for the sake of his true love. And that's what we see as the, as the most romantic, beautiful thing. With a person who goes through hell and back, suffering all things for the sake of love. The beautiful thing is that's really the case with our God. He literally went through hell and back for you. Not figuratively, literally. He went into the depths of hell and emptied it from the throes of Satan. He took on flesh and went through every kind of suffering on our behalf. He had us when He didn't need to have us and went through every kind of pain and suffering on our behalf. He puts up with us and continues to love us even when we go through phases where we don't love Him back. There is nobody who is a greater lover than our God. And the beautiful part is that in spite of our constantly walking away from Him, his arms are always open for those of us who choose to love Him back and those of us who want Him can always find this romantic happy ending. May the Lord grant us always to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we were called and glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.